and welcome to another episode of the Conversation of Our Generation. Uh, my name is Nick Jamel, and I'm the host of the co- podcast here at the Conversation of Our Generation and the creator of the blog and main author, but I am still looking for guest blogs. If that is something you are looking to do and get your ideas out there, your opinions out there, you can message me on facebook.com slash conversation of our generation or at twitter at con of our gen or go to conversation of our generation.com go to the contact page there and you can shoot me a message as well if you want to get involved but today i have a great show lined up i think uh with this being the conversation of our generation i talk like i've said in the past about many different things from economics to philosophy to politics to just you know the things that I see in life that are the best things for an individual to do to get the best outcomes that they can have. And one thing I feel like I leave behind that I always say that I'm planning on talking about uh, is the arts. And that's something that I don't necessarily hit on as often or discuss as often. And so I wanted to kind of dedicate a show to my thoughts on that today and what I think that they can do for us and what I think the arts or what state they're in, I guess, in our society today and what that means for our society and for us uh, individually as well. So before I get into that, uh, I got one quick message for you from We Do Better. We Do Better is an organization that is trying to help charities connect the resources that they need in order to meet the human needs that they're trying to meet with their organization and with the mission that drives them and fuels them to be such a great solution in helping people in your neighborhood, in your community. And what I love about We Do Better is that it allows me to be active and ensure that I am going to be helping the people in my community, the people that I see, the homeless people on my streets right in front of me, and those people that I know need help because it keeps everything local. It keeps my contributions to charities in the area that I live and not going to some far off place or getting sucked away by, you know, government waste. Instead, I know that I'm giving to a charity that is going to be servicing people in my community and is doing so better than other solutions out there. So if you want to get involved, go to wedobetter.org and look around and see what great information there is there. There's plenty to look at. And then go to the contact part and tell them that you want to get involved. Or you can go to the Facebook page for We Do Better Indianapolis if you're in my area and let me know. Or search Facebook for your locality, just We Do Better My City, My State, and see what's out there for you to get involved with. We'd love to have as much help as possible because... We believe in this mission. We believe in what's going on with We Do Better because it's about we, the people, meeting the human needs in our communities and rallying around our community to make them better and to help people who really need it the best way possible and the most efficient way possible. And that's what it's about. So if you want to get involved, again, it's wedobetter.org. Go there and contact them and let them know that you want to get involved. And so with that, let's go ahead and get uh, started for our quote of the day, or quote of the week, rather, sorry. And with this 
week being about uh, art today, we have a uh, quote by uh, Orson Welles, and his and obviously it centers around art. So his quote is, "The enemy of art is the absence of limitations." And I think this is a quote that's counterintuitive for a lot of people in that we often kind of think of artists as these people who go off and do whatever it is that they think will just look good or sound good or whatever it is, and they don't really place limitations on themselves. And I think that that's because really the thing that they do is work within certain bounds in order to create their art. For instance, um, if a movie, let's say, today didn't have a certain format, you know, we have a certain amount of time that's somewhat that's generally assigned to how long a movie would be, but that varies pretty big or pretty greatly depending on what kind of movie it is. But, you know, if you're not using film and a camera or digital film and a camera and shooting certain plot scenes, well, then it's really not going to necessarily be a movie. You could go from being a movie to being a game show pretty simply by, you know, removing the way that with removing a script that tells a story and instead have people on there playing a game. You know, if you change what's going on behind the camera, then you change the art form that's coming out on the other end. And so, while that's not the greatest example of the world, um, you know, it also is, I would say the best example I can think of is in poetry, for instance, when you go from, you know, Shakespeare's time when there were strict rules on how you write uh, in I am a pentameter, when you write a sonnet, there's a certain format, you know, there's a pattern and a structure to it, and you have to be creative with creative within those bounds. And I think that's what Orson Welles is talking about, is that you have to be bounded into some sort of rules in order to be able to have to navigate that creatively, let's say, because if it's just an open landscape and it doesn't matter uh, what rules you place on yourself or, or if you don't at all, then there's no creativity. It's just, you know, babbling generally, you know, you can't, you can't be precise and poignant with what you want to say or what you want to do because you don't have any and you can't be creative because you don't have any bounds within which to work. It's it's like if uh, it's like to me. I think the best example that or best analogy would be uh, like in sports. There's a certain game that's being played. If you're playing football, there's certain rules to the game. There's certain objectives, and if you take away those objectives or the bounds within which you're supposed to operate you know, the field of play, the things that you are and aren't allowed to do, uh, then you lose the game itself. You're not really playing that game anymore, and you can't be a good football player because 
you know, if you're good at whatever else comes of that because you're not playing football anymore. And so to me, that's how I picture this uh, quote. And I think this is something that resonates a lot with, um, with Jordan Peterson. I've heard him say something similar to this. I've heard this idea expressed from other philosophers as well, or kind of not uh, necessarily uh, firsthand, but other people expressing uh, like Aristotle's ideas on art being somewhat similar to this. And I think it's a good idea and a good place to start when discussing it, because when we discuss what the rules of art are, then you can discuss how to break them, which is what I think artists are good at doing is kind of breaking the rules and pushing the bounds of rules. And that's what creativity is, is how can I make this appealing within these bounds? What, what can I do for that? And that to me is what art is about, is pushing the bounds of what you can create within that set of rules. And so now let's go ahead and shift to a little bit more of our discussion today. I wanted to talk about four different places where arts uh, affect, you know, the world and from the individual all the way up to the macro. And I wanted to talk about spirituality, you know, individually, what it does. I wanted to talk about culture, how it affects the culture, the arts, what really are they, uh, and philosophy, and how it's affected as well. And then I have a quote of the week for you from me, too, at the end, so that you can uh, get that as well. But to start... I really wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, what it's like when art reaches you individually and what that does, you know, personally for me, spiritually, and what I think a lot of us learn from art and how a lot of us experience art as well. And so, uh, spiritually, art to me touches the human soul when it's done correctly. It, it captivates us and it moves us and it allows us to empathize and understand what others are feeling and you can see this in all the way back to the uh, the Greek plays <laughs> that were going on uh, when they would have these you know they kind of noted this idea of catharsis that watching Oedipus suffer was a relieving effect for people who were out there that were sad. And they noted this effect that when you gave them a sad uh, story, they would cry, They and then they would come out of it feeling better. And they called it, you know, catharsis, is this unleashing of all the negative feelings on someone else, on, a, on someone in a play. And... I think that that's an interesting idea to see that art can move you so much in that way that you can almost feel better by empathizing and feeling sad for a character that obviously, obviously Oedipus's tragedy is 
you know, terrible. And so for you to be able to empathize with him and, you know, feel for him and feel sad for him and then walk away knowing that really it wasn't a true, true story, it didn't happen, uh, then you're able to kind of feel better about where, I don't know, about your lot, I guess. I don't know really the psychology behind it, but I think that that's an interesting thing that they observed, you know, a couple thousand years ago. <clears throat> and I think that uh, we, when you listen to music, you know, you feel that emotion that the musicians trying to portray that that they or maybe that they were just feeling they didn't even notice that they were putting into their music and you know you understand why the actor is acting the way he does in a play you know you can understand his character because the way the writing is and the directing and the acting itself it gives you this idea of who this character is so when they do something, sometimes they may surprise you, but sometimes you understand why they would do it, or you empathize with their position in life and why they would make the bad or good decisions they would, or they do, in the story. And you see what the painter was seeing, that beautiful landscape. Uh, you see that just as clearly as the painter did when they, you know, when they made that scene for you. Because they're able to capture it in such a way that is almost just as real, maybe more real, really, because it it captures, you know, an individual's consciousness observing this scene and all the beauty that is in the scene itself, but the emotion and the perception of the individual's consciousness as well overlaid on it and expressed in a certain way at a certain time and I think to me that that's just as real if not more real because you're you're seeing that individual's mind at work and I think that that's what's so amazing about uh, art for the spirit is it it connects us on a deeper level. It shows us what it's like to be in that artist's shoes or in their one of their characters' shoes or whatever it is. And it gives us another level of understanding other people and humanity at large by, uh, by challenging us to think about life in a different way that we could never think about if you didn't have art, you know, you couldn't, you couldn't express uh, some of the emotions that you get without music, I don't think, I don't think that you can tell people sometimes how you feel in words, you have to have music there to call out the emotion and to make it real, or you couldn't empathize with a certain story of a person unless it happens a certain way and so you have to kind of make it up and make it real you know tell it so that it seems so real but it unveils this truth in the fiction and I think that there's I've heard different writers kind of give that quote differently but um 
I think that it's very interesting to think about it that way, that by creating this character who goes through a certain set of circumstances and in a certain way, and you understand, you know, their thought process behind the decisions they make, you can empathize with that person. But if I showed you that person in real life and you couldn't hear their inner thoughts the entire time and listen and you couldn't see their backstory or like the couple things that really shaped them in their childhood and made them who they are, then you don't have that same understanding and that same feeling for an individual in real life as you would for the fictional character. And so you can empathize more with them. And I think that that's really interesting that we do that, that we can uh, have that uh, connection to something that's, you know, not even real in the way that we think of what real is. But this idea seems to grasp us and and make that fictional reality so real to us that we can place ourselves in it almost as if it's the world in which we live. And I think that that's incredible. And I think that that's really what the artists are meant to do is to connect with that thing inside of us by being so in touch with that in themselves. And I think, oddly enough, I don't think that the artist has some innate wisdom into the way that humanity works at large, but I think that they have some sort of a connection with what's inside themselves and that they are able to kind of call on that in order to create these works of art that other people are able to connect to. Uh, and so I'd like to move on to what the arts really are and why I think that culture and philosophy are uh, being affected greatly right now due to the way that we are uh, handling the arts after that. And so the question I kind of ask is what really are the arts? What What is that uh, thing that we call art? What, 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 how do you know it? You know, it's like, you know, uh, art is like, you know it when you see it sort of thing, but, or hear it. But I think that it's an attempt to grasp at truth that can't be expressed uh, in any other form than artistry, that can't be expressed in words or in this world in which we live every day. It's something that has to be expressed in a different way. And so I believe, you know, like I said, that a fictional story is something that reveals an essential truth about humanity. It's it's a song that expresses one's emotions far greater than any words could ever try to do, and it's a painting that captures that scene in such a way that's more real than what the artist saw. Like, that's, that's what the arts are. But I think that there is something to it as well, that it has to be 
beautiful. It has to be in harmony with the way that the universe is set up. Like, for instance, music, I think, is a great example that there is a huge science to music because it's so uh, mathematically describable, I guess is the word. You know, you can tell what the pitches are because they're, they run at certain frequencies and so on and so forth, but you can melt these together and make a song out of it by understanding the pitches themselves and how the different frequencies work together. Yet, most artists probably don't know too much of the science, like hard science behind that, but they can piece that together in a way that is amazing for us to listen to because uh, they have that some sort of an intuition that allows them to know what will go together well, know what will blend and what is going to evoke a certain response that they want to evoke in their listener. And I think that you see this a lot in classical music where you have Bach, Mozart, Beethoven, um, trying to express a certain feeling, story, and make it beautiful and spectacular. And I mean, they do so many different ways they make that happen that you have this spectacular piece of music that's so well orchestrated and you have all these different instruments coming together and making this huge piece that goes on for so long and it all is with the purpose of creating this certain response that you see in the crowd and or now today you know people listening with their headphones and you know like I like to do at work um and I think that that response is incredible that you're able to make that happen with the tying together of certain just frequencies that happen naturally and I think that's what's interesting about the arts is that they have to be in harmony with what the universe kind of puts out for us. The rule book that the universe gives us is that there are certain ways that noises and sounds work and the way that, you know, the range in which our ears can hear, right? There's things outside our ability to hear lower and higher frequencies. And so we have this set spectrum of sounds that you can use. We have uh, a set spectrum of instruments that you can tie together. And you really have the limitations of what people can play. I mean, you used to, now you don't necessarily. But, you know, if you made something so fast that people couldn't, you know, get their fingers to move that fast, then you couldn't make that music at the time. Now you have computers that can kind of do that stuff and process it for you or play enough notes at the same time, you know, if, which you can't do necessarily on, um, in 
unless you have maybe multiple instruments or something like that. I mean, you can't play more than 10 notes really on a piano at the same time, let's just say. Um, not that I think you would want to. I feel like if you get beyond that, it, well, I guess you could be all right if you're playing two chords. But regardless, it's it's got this limitation on what humans can do, what humans can hear, how what frequencies just notes are at. And you actually see this kind of differently. I think that there were different scales in the East than there were in the West. I think the Greeks had more notes to the scale than the than the East had. And I could be wrong about that. But that to me shows that there's different limitations set on the two different societies on what their music can be. And you do get uh, drastically different music, I think in the East than you do in the West. And I don't think that that's an accident that happens. I think that if you place the different bounds, that's what you're going to get. And so the arts have this way of speaking to us, right, through that harmony with the universe. The things that are visually beautiful are visually beautiful not because society says that's what's beautiful, although it can influence things, which we'll talk about shortly, but really I think things are beautiful or they're not, and you know, we act like they're that's so malleable, but I think that you kind of know when things are ugly, and we can be told that things are beautiful and like acquire a taste for it because we want to fit in, but you really know that it's not <laughs> um, somewhere deep inside. And so let's get into those cultural influences that I think are uh, important to understand. And, you know, it's been said that politics is downstream of culture. But I think the first thing you have to look at is culture is downstream of the arts. And, and I think that a lot of the times arts are what create the culture. And that's not to say that it completely does, but it drives it. It drives a large swath of what the culture is. I mean, if you just look at the difference from what life was like when Leave It to Beaver was on the TV versus today, <laughs> there's a big difference in life and the different and difference in uh, messaging that you're getting constantly from the art that you watch. And TV is just so, so uh, impactful in the type of art that it is. So you can't help but on you know, pull things from what you're seeing on TV, I don't think. And, you know, the artists are the people who kind of, and we kind of have to fit that within our framework that we have to understand the world, the back burner for a while, you know. Um, like, you can look at the, is, and if you were to kind of take that and say, well, let's apply it because you have to fully form the idea of the individual. And then once they did that, they're like, oh, well, this has just as much dignity as I do. <clears throat> and so that drove that completely. But I think that there was a lot of art and the enlightenment, that idea of the individual. And I think that's where it started to take hold. I think sometimes the artists don't necessarily know what they're exploring. It's like, uh, it's like they don't have the wherewithal to see what it is that 
or the implications of what their art is going to be necessarily. They, they're just drawn into what this this art is that they can't see the outside of outside of it. They, they can't see outside of this work that they're doing. And, and that's fair. I mean, you know, if you do construction or something, you don't really see outside the purview of your job while you're in it. You're not like looking around to understand, you know, what's going on in society at large. If today you got to be making sure that you're working this crane in order to get this building up on time like you're supposed to do in order to get paid like you need to do to support your family. You know, it's understandable why you're not thinking about these big problems in life all the time. And I think the artists do the same thing, even though what they do is so impactful on society at large in a lot of ways, if, especially if you're a prominent artist, that's not really where their mind is at all times um, if they're truly diving into their art. And so they can kind of produce art that they don't truly understand themselves. And uh, this is something that Plato talks about where, and I think I've talked about this on the in the past year, that, you know, it's not the artist himself that produces it. He is the vehicle for the muse that is the true source of the art. And so, you know, if you have... And it's often like a beautiful woman or something like that is the picture of what you get. But, um, but it's the, you know, the idea that Michelangelo doesn't, you know, carve the statue of David, you know, and create that himself. He, he is moved to make this imagery of David and he does so, right? And like, it's almost like, the essence of that person David is calling to him to to create a work of art in order to memorialize him and that's that's kind of the idea and I think that what happens then is artists almost haphazardly create what they're going to create and sometimes it's good for society sometimes it's bad because you can have art that when influenced on in the world around them in the mid 20th century where, you know, I think a lot of bad ideologies were spreading, you know, there's pe that stuff was setting in. People were exploring the ideas of nihilism and what that means. And, and, and really before that, before the mid 20th century too, is even into the, like the 19th century, as far back as that, there's this idea that, you know, as you were losing religion, as you were losing Christianity and all these things, then the art began to change because the artists were exploring things within new bounds and wider and more open bounds generally. And that changes the way, uh, the way we look at things, I think, <clears throat> you know, it, it changes the way the culture reacts to it. Because I think that the arts and the culture kind of move together. The, the artist creates this thing and it changes the way the culture looks. And so now there's a new culture to examine and to examine oneself and you're fit within that new culture. And so you have new art that comes up and that drives it in a direction. And so if it, you know, if it's kind of driving in the same kind of self-fulfilling direction, in 
tearing down or building up, then you're going to have culture improving or getting worse based on whether or not you're, you know, the artist is kind of building up the culture or tearing it down. And in the sixties, a new philosophy kind of came up of like the, that became popular, I guess it had been around of the postmodernist and this idea that <clears throat> you have to be critical of everything. And, and I think that that, you know, you should be critical in the sense that you should take everything with a grain of salt, but you shouldn't be critical in the sense that you want to tear everything down without looking at it twice. And I think that that's where the arts went is you stopped building up these beautiful forms and artworks and instead we're painting Campbell's soup cans. And, you know, I guess that you could make an argument in favor of some of the pop culture art stuff that happened, but I feel like so much of it just brought us back into this world, you know, you know, a landscape or a person, right? Then idea where <clears throat> we need to paint, you know, the things that, and that, you know, the Campbell soup can isn't even like a great example. Like you're not even paying skyline, right? That that's impressive. You're making this thing that we just kind of, it, it kind of shows that art is meaningless by painting something that's meaning here. Why would you paint that? Right. And I think that that kind of shows the art was kind of pushing that culture forward and tearing down, I think a culture that sure, I think it had a much better culture. It was a much better culture that we left behind in a lot. And so I think what you see is, uh, happen, you know, the arts degraded the, they became, Less about it as well. And the culture kind of followed that. You know, when you had, couldn't really talk about sex, it, it made it so that you had to be clever and kind of, and the people who were listening had to be smart to understand what you were doing. You know, you couldn't just say like, you couldn't just show a scene of that happening in a movie or say, you know, outright just like, you know, I mean, like, there's, like, songs today that are just, like, I just want to have sex with you is what the song it says, like, just outright. And it's, like, well, like, okay, but it, that's not really clever. That's not really artistically driven. Whereas, you know, you have people like, uh, like Sam Cooke and, like, you know, I mean, the Rat Pack and people in the 40s, 50s, even some of the early 60s singers that were really pushing that bound of kind of what's acceptable, you know, a little bit or no, a lot of it sometimes, but they weren't outright just saying things. They still were being clever. They were still trying to impress you with the way that, I mean, and they may not have all been writing the songs, but the songwriters at least were trying to impress you with the way that they express those urges and that feeling that's obviously you know, something innate to humanity, you know, I mean, we're still here. <laughs> so, you know, we haven't been like, we haven't stopped breeding, obviously. So, uh, that shows that it's obviously an urge that we have. That's a little bit of walking around the edges of what you're trying to say. And I think that giving them that, those bounds and 
allowing vulgarity philosophical discussions followed as well you know as as we 60 years ago versus the debates you have today and as much as people want to criticize Trump for presidential in the traditional sense you know the years of art and culture because that's where he grew up in I mean like that and the culture is a product of the arts that we got out of the 60s in large part and so when you are if you're mad about saying vulgar things at a presidential debate well let's look back and say in our music and in our movies you know we started allowing our kids to say this and this stuff and any you know moral gravitas to them that we're saying these vulgar things exploring these ideas because they seemed uh artistically and cold and this you know this these kind of ideas to influence the culture to influence the politics but it happens it's going to happen every years for art to influence individuals to rebel against government and create a government in the arts and in the culture and then finally philosophically that that should extend to 100 years the the tearing down of that these ideas that are built up over and it's because it's far easier to destroy than they're tearing down all they have to do is throw on a wrecking ball and go at it and and i i want to leave you with a quote that i kind of came up with when bounded by rules free people when art is let loose to run wild it's true in the sense that when we bond and it has to um, stand within this certain framework that we have for ourselves but when we let it just this purposelessness and what you the fallouts of not in what it is you know even if that worldview is correct these people it it makes them not free anymore because if everything's when your arts and your culture and your philosophy are reinforcing that idea themselves because you first have to free yourself of those ideas that are being buys into and pushes on you as well. And then this philosophy that makes So what I want is to see us start to bind the arts again into rules and a set of rules it can follow and it can, and that we can understand and that we can work within in order to create new and better art. And hopefully through that, a more productive culture, a more, uh, a better, more sound philosophy that seems to me to be more in, or that seems to be more in line with the way the world works. And with that, thank you guys for listening in today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did enjoy it, go ahead and uh, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you can follow it on my blog at conversationforgeneration.com. You can go to iTunes. Uh, Subscribe there. You can find it on Facebook and Twitter. I post them there weekly as well. Facebook.com slash Conversation for Our Generation or Twitter at Con of Our Gen. And I hope that if you do enjoy this, that you spread the message, that you spread the ideas that I talk about here, that you spread, even if you don't agree with them, that you, at least you spread your thoughts and in, a, in an honest, open dialogue that allows you to dive in and Talk about the uncomfortable things. Talk about the things that are hard to talk about, the complicated things in our world today with a reference to what they've been in the past and what we think that they should be uh, for ourselves, for the rest of our lives, and for our posterity. Because 
as a 23-year-old guy, you know, we have to start thinking about that. You know, we have to start thinking about that future that we want to build. And that's what I hope the conversation of our generation can be is something where we can come together and discuss these ideas. And the best place to start is by, you know, make, making the discussions on social media, um, comments on the blog, and doing so with out um, diving into the shallow uh, discussions that we find in social media on a normal basis. I'd like to elevate that level of conversation to something that's much more fruitful. So help me do that. Help me. And that's how you can join in the conversation. Our generation, the best way is by having fruitful conversations and dialogues with people who you agree with, disagree with, you know, a little bit of both <laughs> and pushing that conversation forward. So thank you guys for uh, listening today. And I hope this worked. This was a good episode. And I'll talk to you next week. Let's get the dialogue going.